Good morning and welcome to episode 50 of Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm. This is Lee. This is the first regular episode of 2020, so let me welcome all you regular listeners. Some of you may have joined in on the first episode of Bee School Radio last week, and I hope you enjoyed it. For the more experienced beekeepers, I would sure welcome your input on what I need to tell beginners. Not all the details that they will get in their local bee schools, but the kind of the things that made a difference for you. So please let me know if you have any suggestions. Winter is giving me a little time to catch up on my bee reading and study. And as a result, I'm finding all these things I want to share with all of you. One, I just got in the mail this week, and it is a new book called Raising Honey Bee Queens. And it is by Giles I hope that's how you say it, G-I-L-L-E-S, Fert, F-E-R-T. Now, he's French, so I am sure the proper pronunciation of his name is nothing like that. (laughs) But if you're looking for the book, the last name is F-E-R-T, Raising Honeybee Queens. And it's translated from the French, and I found it on the HorizontalHive.com website. That's HorizontalHive.com. And of course, I was looking around there because many of you know that I hope to experiment with horizontal hives or long Langstroth hives in the near future. And on that topic, I have a very exciting interview coming up, but okay, I won't get into that. So anyway, this book, I first got it in the mail and I kind of opened it. It's got great pictures and illustrations. I opened it and thought, okay, this is just the usual normal stuff. But then I started reading it and this is a fabulous book. It has more about raising queens and I don't know, it's just really good in a very simple format. That's what fooled me, was just glancing at it. So I highly recommend that, and I will do a selected reading from that later on for you this month or next month. Sorry if you heard a little sneeze in the background. Merkel's hanging out with me. So, But what I wanted to do today is a short reading. Well, actually, I don't know if it's so short, but it's a reading from theapiarist.org. Many of you have heard me say that this is one of my favorite blogs, theapiarist.org. He is a Scottish bee researcher and blogger, and a fabulous sense of humor, very well-written blog posts. So I was catching up on some of his December posts, and this one called Questions and Answers just had so much good stuff in it. It's hard to describe, but I just want to read it to you. Questions and Answers, and this appears on theapiarist.org. One of the challenging things about beekeeping is that the season can be both confusing and entertaining in equal measure. It's entertaining because it's always a little different from the seasons that have preceded it. The environment changes. There's an early spring or late frost, a drought, a monsoon, or the local farmer changes from one strain, strain of oilseed rape to another. Sometimes, You get all these things in a single season or month. But not only does the environment change, so do your bees. Inevitably, your queens will be replaced over the years. In turn, they influence the performance of the colony. Your virgins fly off to the drone congregation areas where they mate with the bad boys from colonies run by a nearby beekeeper with much thicker gloves and a fleece under his bee suit. Mayhem ensues. Inspections get a whole lot less fun quickly. Or you collect a swarm headed by a fecund queen who busies herself producing calm, prolific, frugal, and productive workers. 
The colony gets bigger and bigger. It shows no sign of swarming. And you add the fourth super. You feel like you've really cracked this beekeeping lark. Sorted. But these things also make beekeeping incredibly confusing to the newcomer. Let me pause here. This is Lee. This is the part that I wanted to read because it is something I want to talk to you much more, particularly the more beginners, but all, but everybody really. This is, uh, to me, important. If you take a calendar-centric view, there's no right answer to when will the colony swarm, or is this the right time to treat for mites, or should I remove the supers now? And many beekeepers do have a calendar-based viewpoint. It's so much easier to prepare if you're told that swarming starts in the third week of May and the supers should be removed at the end of August. Not only is that easier to understand, but the telltale signs that the bees produce aren't, for a beginner, very good at telling tales. The first half-hidden charged queen cell, a reduced laying rate, the reduction in loaded returning foragers, etc. And he has a picture here of a, of a queen cup. And beginners, a queen cup is when they've drawn a queen cup, but there's no egg or larva in it. So a queen cup. And also in this post, he calls it a play cup. And then a queen cell or a charged queen cell, that's one that's, that's, that one's in business. It's got an egg or a larva in it, which means they're planning on producing a new queen. Okay, back to the article. Oh, this picture with the uh, the queen cup, the caption is play cup or are they planning their escape? Question mark. All right, back to the article. But for me, at least, half of the enjoyment is deciphering these signs and working out what the colony is doing or going to do and therefore what I should be doing. Question and answers. Most of this is observation, interspersed with a bit of record-keeping and sprinkled with some best guesses. If you keep asking the right questions, you will slowly but surely start finding the answers. Are they running out of space, making more play cups, and slimming the queen down for the great escape? But many of these things are too subtle for beginners overwhelmed by the difficulty in just finding the queen among 38,789 of her daughters. Inevitably, this means that beginners, quite rightly, ask other beekeepers a lot of questions. I did. I still do. And in this increasingly connected world, some of those questions take the form of internet searches. And some of these questions pop up as search terms on this site. And if you're not familiar, if you have a website, you can actually go in and see what people have searched for on your site. So this is what he's talking about. Back to the article. Mites. Many of these queries are about mite management. Best time to treat for varroa in honeybees. Should bees be treated for mites in spring? Use Apigard in June? Oxalic acid to treat varroa. Can I do it this week? When to treat bees with oxalic acid in Arkansas, which that's funny to me. I used to live in Arkansas, and then somebody searching on a Scottish blog for oxalic acid dates in Arkansas. All right. Very specific questions. Very calendar-centric. There are hundreds more queries like these. A correct answer requires an understanding of the biology of the mite and an appreciation of the state of the hive neither necessarily involves 
the calendar. Both can be acquired with a little homework and good observation. However, the very fact that 25% of queries to his website are about might management emphasizes that many struggle with this aspect of beekeeping. I remain convinced that the biggest challenge new beekeepers face is how to effectively manage mites. Without proper mite manage, your colonies will perish. If you lose your colonies every winter, you will soon get disheartened. The easiest way to properly control mite numbers is with chemicals. It's what I do. Now, just let me say, he's talking about both organic and um, more synthetic chemicals. And the synthetics are the ones that residuals get in the comb. And that's why I am a proponent when you need to treat to use the organic chemicals. It's what I do. However, it's not the only way. Excellent beekeeping, selective rearing of mite-tolerant colonies or of attenuated viruses, this is his research subject, and yet more excellent beekeeping coupled with a favorable environment may mean you can keep colonies without without chemical intervention and without excessive losses. All beginners lack the necessary experience to achieve this. Most lack the ability to learn the skills quickly enough to save their colonies, and the majority probably live in areas that are unsuitable. Most importantly, many beginners are not resilient enough to, quote, learn the hard way. They believe the largely incorrect statements about the evils of treatment. They want their bees to be healthy and happy. They like the sound of the term biodynamic, but they cannot cope with losing their stock every single winter through disease and starvation, so they give up. Learn to keep bees, then learn, again, using the years of knowledge already accumulated to keep them without chemical intervention if you want, not the other way around. I'm going to read that again. Learn to keep bees. Then learn again using the years of knowledge already accumulated to keep them without chemical intervention if you want, not the other way around. Read all you can here and elsewhere, but remember that nothing is as valuable as time spent observing your bees. So I just want to stop there because that was the the passage that I mentioned recently about, to me, he put it into words, the difficulty I have since I have been able to keep my bees without any chemicals so far, but the the difficulty in communicating, yes, I have managed, but sometimes it's been by the skin of my teeth, and also I'm in a very unique setting and circumstance, and so I just, I just want to put that out there. There are so many people, they, when they start keeping bees, They very, very much want to not use any chemicals. Because who wants to use chemicals? Nobody. But it is very, very difficult. It requires a whole set of skills that beginners don't have yet. And even with all those skills, there are places, like if you're close to uh, beekeepers who don't manage their mites at all, beekeepers that just let the mites do what they will and the bees die as they will, then unfortunately there is more and more research coming about how that those mites then come into your yard and I have talked to so many beekeepers uh, including like like Megan Milberth who who have written and talked about 
that they were doing fine with almost no chemicals. And then if somebody next door or down the road, remember bees fly for miles, if they don't handle their um, hives and they become overwhelmed with mites, then those mites disperse on the backs of bees that are um, either absconding, anyway, blah, 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 or your bees go in and rob them out. There's many ways. So I don't want to make this into a mite podcast. There there are plenty of those. Um, I don't want to make that. But also, I do not want to mislead anyone who is starting out that you don't need to know all that. Um, I'm not the best at at what the treatments are and how to use them because I don't have the practice. But as I've said in many past podcasts, um, if my mite numbers are out of control, I'm going to do something. Now, in so far, I have been able to use, I, I think there it would technically be biomechanical methods, you know, that are not um, chemical, either organic or non-organic, I don't know, non-organic is not the right word, but uh, synth- more synthetic. Anyway, I've been able to do that, but that is not because of any, you know, what would you even call it? Any any hard and fast rule on my part. It's just been an attempt to work with selected stock. Okay, I'm sorry to get off on that, but this is so important. And when you hear that number that 80% of new beekeepers quit, this right here is so much of it. And also the the misleading information. I'm not going to say incorrect because in some of the larger treatment-free groups that I do follow because I'm trying to learn from everywhere, but there's this misleading thing. There's all these little e-quick and easy catchphrases. Let bees be bees. Let the bees work it out. And when you're talking about evolutionary time and particularly evolutionary time without the input of humans, absolutely. It's absolutely correct. So that part is not inaccurate. The problem is that on our everyday human life lifespan in the times that we live in right now, that's not going to work out in our lifetime, in our beekeeping lifetime, unless you happen to be in a very special setting and you happen to have a set of skills. So that's hard to communicate. That's definitely not simple um, to communicate. So thank you for putting up with me on that little rant because it just, it does break my heart to see people so well-meaning, so well-intentioned, so not wanting to put toxic chemicals on their bees, but yet they, they make a black and white rule on that. And that, unfortunately, black and white rules, there's no quicker ways to kill your bees that I've, than I've found. Okay, back to this wonderful article. I apologize for all that. Um, anyway, back to this wonderful article from the apiarist.org. So he's talking about now other uh, uh, queries or search topics that are entered in on his websites. Technical queries. These are the sort of the questions that probably can be easily answered. Remembering, of course, that there are usually at least two correct answers for every question and any number of incorrect ones. One. Honey warming cabinet plans. Two, how long does it take bees to chew through newspaper? Three, what is the chance of a queen being left in my hive when I have just lost a huge swarm? Four, a lighting board angle. Five, where and how to set up bait hives. 
My honey warming cabinet is one of the most useful things I've built for my beekeeping, and the pages that describe it, the plans, and its use remain some of the most popular on this site. The answer to question two, how long does it take bees to choose through newspaper, depends on how many sheets of newspaper are involved. I think we all know the answer to question three, what's the chance of a queen being left in my hive when I've just lost a huge swarm, and it's not going to make the questioner happy. It is very rare that you can provide an absolute definitive answer in beekeeping. However, after many years of exhaustive, well-controlled, and independently verified trials, I have unequivocally shown the answer to question four, a lighting board angle, is 47.7 degrees. 47.7, precisely. Not more, not less. Remembering, of course, that a landing or a lighting board isn't actually needed at all. Tom Seeley has done the definitive studies on bait hives, question five. He clearly describes the where. My recommendations are rather more pragmatic. It's easier to monitor and move bait hives if you're not five meters above the ground. Miscellaneous and just weird. And then there are a lot of queries that are simply amusing typos, nonsensical or just odd. My favorites this year are one, Maxant Crank mechanism. 2. Langtorth Eek. 3. How to wear rigor boots. I have no idea how the first landed up on the apiarist.org, as it's a term I have never used. The middle query, Langtorth Eek, is a typical typo. It's an obvious one, but it constantly amazes me how good fuzzy matching algorithms are these days. Question three, how to wear rigor boots, is about beekeeping footwear. My last pair of rigor boots were abandoned years ago when the lining fell apart and eventually turned my feet to a bloody pulp. How to wear them? I wore mine while hobbling. It's not something I'd recommend. I now wear muck boots, specifically the now discontinued Edgewater 2 short boots, which are lightweight, very comfortable, and fully waterproof. No steel toe cap, but I never drop full supers. And he has a picture of a full super dropped on the ground and busted all the pieces. Well, almost never. Questions and comments. Not all questions originate in internet searches. Many come via the comments section at the end of these posts. Most of these are both welcomed and useful. They allow me to clarify things that I'd presented confusingly or they provide an opportunity to expand on parts of the post. The number of comments have increased significantly this year. This increase probably reflects the increased readership and page accesses of the site. Alternatively, it may mean the writing is getting worse as the comment numbers correlate with the increased length of the post. He has a little frowny face here. I try and answer as many comments and questions as I can. Many make very salient points, and I'm grateful to those who take the time to comment, either to correct me, to seek clarification, or to provide their own insight on the topic. I ignore those that are dogmatically stupid or just plain wrong. My prerogative. There's enough bad advice on the internet without propagating more. I apologize to those who comment via Facebook or Twitter. I almost exclusively use both for promoting posts made here. Both generate a lot of traffic to the site, but I simply don't have time or interest to use them interactively. If you want to contact me, do so via the comment section or the aptly named contact form. More readers' questions. Which, in a rather secure, 
circuitous way brings me to the Reader's Question Answered column in the BBKA News. I believe that's the British Beekeeping Association News. I was asked to tackle these a few months ago, and January and February are already written. The BBKA News is the monthly newsletter of the British Beekeepers Association. It has a circulation of about 25,000. Each year, a different victim, he's crossed that out, contributor, prepares the answers. I'm taking over from Bob Smith, who did an excellent job and will be a hard act to follow. Some of the previous contributors have been anonymous, which might have been a sensible option, but it's too late for me now. My family joke that I'm now the agony aunt for beekeepers. I discussed this with Callum, a regular contributor to the comment section of these pages, who provided, as usual, as usual, some very sage advice, including, Bees put up with a lot of shit from beekeepers. I don't think the BBKA will want to use that as my strap line, but it certainly sums things up pretty accurately. Happy New Year. May your queens be well-mated, your mite numbers low, your supers heavy, and may your prime swarms be in my bait hives. So that was a, a December post um, from one of my favorite bloggers at theapiarist.org, which I just highly recommend. Go there and read. It's really good. So that brings me to a close. I am so glad to be with you, here with you guys again in 2020. Like I said, I'm having interesting conversations with beekeepers that I think are going to lead to interesting interviews. Some of them are so good at what they do that I'm really having to stretch just to figure out what to ask them in a way that I can understand <laughs> what we're talking about. But I'm hoping to get a lot of those together for you this year. Over on the Patreon page at Patreon slash 5Apple, it's F-I-V-E-A-P-P-L-E, 5Apple. I have added some benefits to those of you who have taken the plunge and become a friend of 5Apple over there. The, some of the new benefits are after every show or when I'm while I'm doing B-School, it'll just be uh, one post a week. It's just a question and answer post. And so the patrons have the chance to just ask any questions that's on their mind. I will do my best there to answer if I know it or share some resources that I found if I don't know it. And so I'm looking forward to talking to the Patreons there. If you're not a Patreon and you still want to help the podcast, please share information about it, particularly in any of the beekeeping groups that you participate in online. They don't let me do it because they consider it, most of the beekeeping groups consider that self-promotion. <laughs> so if you share it and talk about how much you're enjoying it, though, that doesn't count. So I really appreciate it. That brings new listeners to the show. I hope you're having a wonderful start to January. I will be talking with you soon about what my hopes and dreams are for the new year in the bee yard, and I would love to hear what yours are. So have a good week. Contact me sometime either on the Patreon page or at the Facebook page, Five Apple Farm, Bees, Honey, and More. Show notes for this episode and for the first episode of Bee School will be posted shortly over at patreon.com slash fiveapple.